Well, this past week, my family and I enjoyed a week of vacation. As such, I did not preach this past Sunday. So today, I am sharing a sermon I preached in 2016 on raising children from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Our purpose is not to raise children that stay safe and never face difficulty. No, we are called to raise children who will obey the call of God, even if that takes them into danger, or even if that takes them away from our ability to protect and to provide for them. We are called to entrust them into the care of the Lord. I hope this word will encourage, and I hope this word will bless you today. God bless. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And, if, and also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In our passage today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you hear Paul writing to Timothy, and he calls the New American Standard, uh, translates it, my son, literally my child. Now, Paul and Timothy are not biologically related Paul is not Timothy's biological father, and yet he considers Timothy his son, not by blood, but by spirit. In other words, he sees Timothy as his son in the faith, his child in the faith, and he's writing to him from prison with these instructions, my son, here's how you're to live out the gospel in your life. I think from this passage, there are some instructions that can teach both biological and uh, parents and spiritual parents, how we are to relate to our children, particularly as they leave our care and stand on their own. Now, there has been a lot written and uh, much discussed about our modern phenomenon of parents overprotecting their children. You've heard the phrase helicopter parents and that they hover over their children. Now, that's not a phenomenon that's happening in the elementary school, in the middle school, and high school only. There's been quite a bit written of how this parenting style extends even into the college days and young adult days as what used to be considered uh, adulthood. Um, folks today still relying on mom and dad to do a lot of the things that they should be doing on their own. And equally, there's been a lot written about this phenomenon, but also just some of the problems and moral issues that have come along with delayed adulthood and, and, uh, and prolonged adolescence. Today, I want to make the case that our purpose is, to, is not to raise children that stay safe and never face difficulty. I believe that it is our purpose to raise children who will obey the call of God even if that means they put themselves in harm's way and in places that have no comfort and no ease. And as godly parents raising godly children, our heartbeat must be not to ensure that our children never know suffering and always stay safe and, and, and always stay within the, and the ability of our power to protect them and keep them. But as godly parents, we must parent with the, with the, with the vision, with the purpose to entrust our children to the Lord for his kingdom purposes and for his will. To that end, I want to talk in these three ways. Number one, 
We are called to entrust our children to God's call on their life, that they would hear and discern what God is calling them to do and then celebrate when they go and do that. We're secondly to, to called to entrust them to God's protection. If they're obedient to God's call, they'll go places that are dangerous and scary and sketchy and all the like, and we need to trust that God is able to provide and protect them. And then lastly, entrust them to God's provision. We cannot provide every need for our children, nor should we. And at some point, if they are to be obedient to the will of God, we have to entrust that God will provide for where he calls them. But let's begin this morning with entrusting them to God's call. I would, I would point you to verse 2. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul is writing from prison, even now in chain for the sake of the gospel. And in verses 8, 9, and 10, he speaks about how he is, he is chained up like a, like a criminal in prison for the sake of the preaching of the gospel. And he's encouraging Timothy to, to follow in his footsteps in the same work and service. And in verse 2, he says, And the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What he is saying here to Timothy is he is entrusting him to God's call. He's saying, listen, Timothy, God called me to be a preacher of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to whomever he would give me opportunity to proclaim it to. And he's saying now to Timothy, listen, I have poured the gospel into your life, and now you were called to do the same to other men. So take what has been entrusted to you and entrust that to other men that they may entrust it to other men. You see, the kingdom work and the work of the kingdom is not about selfish desires. Working the kingdom and being obedient to God is not about doing what we want to do. It's about doing what God would have us do. I've said before that I fear that one of the great sins of our day is putting our children in a place of honor that should only be for the Lord. Our culture tends to worship children, to to celebrate children in a manner that I think is unhealthy and ungodly. So notice in our context the contrast of Paul's instructions to Timothy. They were not focused on Paul's needs. So they weren't, listen, come and hang out with me because I want to be close to you because I miss you. They weren't focused on Paul's needs. They weren't focused on Paul's desires. This is what I want. This is what I, what I need. They were not focused on Paul's hopes and dreams for Timothy. I really hope you'll go to, to college and do X, Y, Z with your life. Paul's instructions to Timothy were focused on the gospel. You have heard the word of God. Now go and trust that word of God to other faithful men. Entrusting your children to the call of God is not about fulfilling your hopes and dreams through them and in them. Entrusting your children to the call of God is about them taking the gospel that you have poured into their lives to those God sends them to. So one of the things that you celebrate is that you pour the gospel into your children's lives. The outgrowth of that should be that they would pour the gospel into someone else's life. It is not wrong to desire that your children know safety and comfort. I'm not saying that. I desire that. I long for that. But your desire for your children must not subvert the call of God on their lives. It's okay to say, I want my children to be safe. But when the call of God calls them to unsafe place, you must not let your desire for their safety to subvert their call of God in their life. Even if God calls them to unsafe places, even if God calls them to a life of difficulty, even if God calls them to suffering, to entrust your children to kingdom work is to celebrate the advancement of the kingdom over the fulfillment of your personal desires. 
I desire my children to be safe. I desire my children to be comfortable. But when we entrust our children to the work of God, part of what we're saying is, I relinquish my desire for safety and comfort, and I trust that God will call them and keep them. So go wherever he calls you. Kingdom work is not about personal desires. It is about multiplication. In fact, you'll notice it's, even as Paul is instructing Timothy, it's multiplication-focused. You see, to know the gospel, listen to me very carefully, to know the gospel is to share the gospel. To know the gospel is to share the gospel. No one who has received the true gospel of Jesus Christ will be able to keep it to themselves. How do I know that? Look at the example of Paul and the other disciples in the early church. Oftentimes they were beaten and abused and all kinds of things and threatened. And they would say, listen now, we'll quit beating you and we'll quit imprisoning you if you'll just shut up about Jesus. And they would say to those that were beating them and imprisoning them, do what you got to do. But we cannot help but speak and proclaim what we have seen and heard about Jesus. Paul had received the gospel and he had shared it with Timothy. Now Timothy was to teach it to other faithful men who in turn were to receive it from Timothy and were to share it with others. There's a principle that flows into the family here, and that is, is that parents who know Jesus have a desire for their children to know Jesus. That's about as natural as it comes. To know the true gospel is to desire to share the true gospel. Who more would we want to hear the gospel of Jesus than our own flesh and blood, our, our children? But there's a secondary principle to that, and that is that children who know Jesus want others to know Jesus. So I say this to you, be careful, parents. If you share the gospel with your children and they receive it well, praise the Lord, but you need to understand the right, holy, righteous response of children who have heard the gospel is to desire to share the gospel, and that might take them far away from you. One of the more common characteristics of revival movements is a secondary missionary movement. Read the histories of the revival breakouts that have happened in our land and other places, and keep reading a few chapters, and you'll discover that as God begins to stir in the hearts and minds of the church and the unbelieving and call them to salvation, there begins to be a breakout of, of, uh, of salvation. About two chapters later, after those folks who have received the gospel, their first impulse is to leave and go share it with somebody else. Some of the greatest missionary movements were fueled by revival movements. The desire for others to know Jesus must even affect your desire for your children. Certainly you desire that they know the Lord, but you also must desire that they also give their lives for others to know the Lord. Raising godly children is not just about them knowing and keeping the Word of God. It is also about them taking the Word of God to others. You must celebrate, parent, the multiplication process. Teach them. Discipline them. Encourage them in the Lord. Live a life that's an example for them to follow. Lead them to the gospel, but understand this, that there is a natural principle that is in play in your family. You know Jesus, so you want to know your children to know Jesus, but that'll play out in their life too, and God may use them to go to the, God, to the four corners of the world far away from you. Celebrate that as a righteous response to receiving the gospel. 
Kingdom work is not about selfish desires. It is about multiplication, and it is for the glory of God. You know, the truth of it is that in this room, there is not a single person that doesn't have a personal desire or a personal opinion on something. It's just the way we're made. But having a kingdom perspective means that you put the kingdom above your personal desires and opinions. It's a phrase I have used in my ministry almost from the very beginning, and that is all for the kingdom. For me, it's a reminder that I am constantly having to submit my own desires, my my own opinions, my own wishes, that the kingdom would be advanced. And it helps me just sort of put in perspective, am I considering, am I fighting for something that it only has to do with me, or am I fighting for something that has to do with the kingdom? And where my heart wants to be is that everything about me is kingdom-focused. And that has to be the way it is with our children as well. You see, my opinions and personal desires will not bring glory to God. I might get what I want, and I might like it for a while, but it has no eternal consequence. It won't bring glory to God. But when the kingdom is advanced, that brings glory to God. And how is the kingdom advanced? By the lost coming to know the Lord. By the Lord receiving the praise that he is due by every lip and worship by every knee that is bent. You know, the truth is you can counsel and push your children toward careers that are safe. You can counsel and push your children toward careers that have high earning potential. You can counsel and encourage your children toward uh, things that will keep them close at home. And I get the allure of all three of those. Or you can counsel and celebrate your children toward kingdom work, even if that means they'll be in a place that's not safe, even if that means working a job that doesn't pay well, even if that means it'll take them far from home. You see, godly parents do so not because it is easy, but because their heart is not that their children would do what they want, it is that their heart would do according to the will of God and glorify God in their life. That's what it looks like for godly parents to entrust their children to the will of God. That's different, isn't it, than the worldly view of parenting. And so we entrust our children to the the call of God, but the second thing we must do is entrust our children to God's protection. Look in verse 3. The very first word in verse 3 is suffer. Paul is instructing his child in the faith. Entrust the gospel to other men. Verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a soldier in Christ. Now Paul's not speaking theoretically here. He's not talking allegorically here. Paul is writing from prison. The clink of chains is on his arms and his legs. He is not free to go. And so he's inviting his son to join in his suffering for the sake of the gospel. I would say to you, friends, that as we think about what it means to entrust our children to the Lord and to the kingdom work, we must understand that that means entrusting them to God's protection, not our own. To that end, we entrust them and encourage them to be obedient, overthinking comfort. Paul's encouragement to suffer is contrary to what most American parents spend most of their time and effort against. Most parents have a powerful desire to provide what they can for their children. It's not bad. Most of us have participated in this in some form or fashion, and so 
we want as best we can is to the to the extent to the extent that we can afford it we want to provide a, a safe and comfortable home when the storm was blowing a few nights ago and uh, we, we talked with our children how thankful we are that God had provided with us with a home that was safe and dry in the midst of a bad storm Parents want to provide a good education for their children, and so we're constantly thinking about the best teacher and the best school and, and whatever is best for our children. We, we want to provide for them the best sports opportunity. Maybe we've got the next all-star. Maybe we've got the next whatever, and so if they're good at something, we want to provide for them, and it's expensive, and it means that at the end of school, most of us parents are circling Ware County in a constant or orbiting loop, taking kids to this place and that place and that place. We want to provide electronics and toys and trips and we want to provide modern conveniences like cell phones and Wi-Fi and all the rest. We want them clothed and provided for. Even parents who knew suffering or poverty in their youth desire that their children not know such difficulty. If you grew up poor, if you grew up in difficulty, you work like a dog, and you say to your children, listen, I grew up poor, but I've worked so that you don't have to. That is a, a very common theme in our culture. And Paul's instructions in verses 3 and 4 to Timothy is very contrary to that natural way of thinking. Instead of saying, dear Timothy, enjoy the comfort that I have provided for you, instead of saying, dear Timothy, here's some things to, that you need to avoid that will cause you difficulty, he invites Timothy to join him in the suffering. The word there translated suffering certainly means misfortune, suffering, and trouble, but it, but it also has a sense of enduring suffering, of toil, of exertion. So this is not a momentary idea. In other words, this is not a prick on the finger, but come and, and join me in a life in an existence of difficulty and suffering and pain and imprisonment and beatings and all the like. You see, Paul understood that if Timothy was to be faithful to the gospel, it would bring about in his life suffering. So his instruction and encouragement was not to avoid suffering, but to come and join in it. Listen to me, parents. You must entrust your children to the Lord that he will be able to provide for them even in the midst of of suffering. Can I say it again? Parents, you must entrust your children to the Lord that he will be able to provide for them in the midst of suffering. It is not your job to keep them from all suffering. It is not your job to keep them from all suffering. Do you understand that if they are to be obedient to the call of God, it very likely means suffering. And if you keep them from it, they will not be obedient to the call of God. How can you do that unless you will trust God and trust your children for their protection? You can't keep them from it. Neither should you keep them from it. And so like Paul to Timothy, you should say to your children, obey the Lord. Choose obedience over comfort because it glorifies God. Rather, as you bring up your children in the knowledge of the word, you teach them to trust the Lord in the midst of suffering. Entrust them to the Lord that they might obey him and he will sustain them even in the midst of difficulty. Encourage them to choose obedience over, over comfort. And, and encourage them to choose faithfulness over safety. 
There's a phrase that finds its way in church decision-making processes, and it, it goes like this, is it safe? When we're considering a mission trip, sometimes the question will be, where we're going, is it, is it safe? And to be quite honest, as a, as a leader, it scares you to death when you ask that question because I can't guarantee anything. I can't guarantee if we go across town if it's safe, much less if we go out of the country. When it's local, the question will be, is it safe as it relates to insurance? Well, is it going to mess with our liability? Could we have some difficulty here? And you know the honest answer to all of those questions is no. Is it safe to go to southwest Mexico? No. Is it safe to go on the other side of the county? No. Is it safe to bring people onto our campus that they might hear the gospel? No. But it's the wrong question to ask. It is not safe, at least according to the things of this world, to be obedient to the Lord Jesus. But we're not called to be safe. We're called to be faithful. So don't encourage your children to be safe. Encourage them to be faithful to the call of God. Paul uses the analogy of the soldier. And he says about the soldier that they don't concern themselves with the things of, uh, of normal everyday life so that they can be faithful to the one who enlisted them. Rather, a soldier goes where he is ordered, and often that means into places of being unsafe. We don't want the soldiers that fight our wars to ask the question, is it safe? They know it's not safe. And yet they go because they're being obedient to the one who commanded them to go. When, you, you, when we use the what is safe, what we generally mean is a place where we feel comfortable and in control. But you see, faithfulness to God to the call of God and to the commands of Jesus cannot be dependent on our perception of safety. Godly parents must entrust their children to the protection of God, desiring that they be faithful more than they be safe. And frankly, friends, in all honesty, I think that might be the most difficult task for all of us. Parents, we spend a crazy amount of time trying to make sure that our children are safe. We've chased after babies running towards streets. We've, we've janked, yanked back hands when they were reaching toward hot, hot plates. We've worried about where they are. We've tried to keep our eye on them. And so when you raise up a child in your home, you have spent a tremendous amount of time trying to make sure they are safe. And then they leave. And what I'm saying to you is that you cannot, nor should you, try to make sure they are safe their whole life. But as they leave and as they go, as they obey the Lord, you need to understand that you're not called to keep them safe. You are called to raise children who obey the Lord no matter where in the world it takes them, even into harm's way, even to places that are not safe. Entrust their safety to the Lord and encourage them to be faithful no matter what. Obedience over comfort Faithfulness over safety, purpose over ease. As Paul gives three examples to Timothy, he uses the soldier, he uses the athlete, and he uses the farmer. The soldier gives up the affairs of everyday life to be about his purpose. The athlete gives up his personal desire to compete for the prize according to the rules. Uh, there's a phrase there that he uses, and he, he talks about that uh, in verse 5. He says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. There's a, 
there's a phrase there that's translated um, does not win the prize, but it means um, uh, that, that, his, um, that he will not be remembered. It's the, a phrase, remembrance received, or received his remembrance. The idea is if you, don't, if you don't compete according to the rules, you may technically get across the line first, but your name doesn't get to go down in the annals of the one who won. You don't get remembered as having received a prize. Then he talks about the farmer who labors in the field for the produce that it will bring. And all three of these examples, they gave up what would be easy for the higher calling and higher purpose. And I don't use the word easy here as a weak word, but, but rather meaning doing life in a way that makes uh, life more self-satisfying. So in the sense of the soldier, he works for the commander, not what is best for him personally. For the athlete, he he submits his life to the rules of the game so that he can win according to the rules of the game, not doing what would be easiest for him personally. For the farmer, he delays his satisfaction and he labors and he, and he works the field until the day of harvest when he receives the, the harvest. Godly parents lead their children to be about the purpose of God, not chasing what will bring ease. Many parents will be tempted to encourage their children toward what will make their life easy. I, I get this one. But godly parents must entrust their children to the will of God and encourage them to be purposely about the will of God. Your child comes home and they, they say to you, Mom, Dad, I sense the Lord calling me in this area, in this direction, and what immediately runs through your head is, man, you'll never make any money. You're never going to get any respect. That's a terrible career choice. And you're tempted at that moment to encourage your child, listen, let me tell you what would be easier according to the way the world works. But what you should be encouraging them to be is to be uh, purposeful over easy. So in other words, say to your child, listen, you be about what God has called you to be about. Even if that means your life won't be easy according to this world. And trust them to God's protection. And lastly, look in verse 7. Entrust them to God's provision. In verse 7 he says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Entrust them to God's provision. I would say the provision first of understanding. Parents spend a lot of time teaching and instructing their children. And this teaching and instruction has as its goal the day when the child will stand on their own. By the way, that must be our goal. It cannot, it is not healthy, it is not good, it is not God-honoring for your goal for your child to never be an adult. I tell mine all the time, I'm celebrating the day when you move out, praise the Lord. <laughs> we told them, so we've had you all close together so that y'all would leave all close together. The truth is, Listen to me. Truth is, parents, you cannot teach them everything. That's a humbling reality, isn't it? I've often made the case that parents should take absolutely every opportunity to teach their children, and that means in your home, but it also means don't waste a moment, parents. Have your children in church to hear the preaching of the gospel every opportunity they can hear it. Have them in Sunday school to hear the gospel taught. Make sure they're in youth and all those opportunities because listen, 
the opportunity of the world is abundant to pour themselves into your children. Do not miss an opportunity to teach your children the gospel. But here's the truth. If you teach faithfully in your home the words of truth, and you bring your kids, and you never miss a Sunday, a Sunday night, a Wednesday, and Tuesday, and if we do something on Thursday, that too, and you're here every time, and you're pouring everything into your child, you maybe have 18, 19 years with your children. And frankly, that's not enough. When they leave your care, they'll face things that you could never imagine. Paul, I believe, had taught Timothy well. Paul was teaching still through his letters to Timothy. But he also recognized that ultimately it was not he who was responsible for Timothy's understanding. It was the Lord's. Parents, you must do well to teach and instruct your children in the truth of God's word. But in the end, you must entrust them to the Lord that he is able to give them understanding in all things and in every, understand, in every situation. Teach, be faithful to teach. Be faithful to discipline. Be faithful, faithful to encourage them and to lead them and to live a life in a, of, a, as, as a way of illustration and example to them. But you need to understand that at some point you have to entrust them. You can't teach them everything, but God is able. Entrust them to God's provision of wisdom. Entrust them to God's uh, provision of um, understanding and entrust them to God's provision of wisdom. Last week I said in the sermon that parents must lead their children to know and love the wisdom of God and I talked about that when you consider, uh, when Christians consider any action to be done, we, we walk through these steps. We ask the question, is it commanded? Is this something that God says I must do? Or is it something that is prohibited? Is this something that God said I must not do? And so if God said do it, then we need to do it. If God said don't do it, then we must not do it. But then if neither one of those are true, then we ask the question, is what I'm about to do God honoring? Will it bring honor to God or will it bring shame to God? And then lastly, we ask the question, is it wise? Is it helpful? Is what I'm about to do going to encourage the saints and bring edification to the church and to me, or is it going to be in some way unhelpful? And we talked about how you need to instruct your children that they might know how to discern these things, to be wise in their walk with the Lord. Here Paul says that God will give understanding, and then he uses the word everything. The, the Greek word that is used there means a totality of all object mass, collective, or extension, all, every, each, whole. In other words, anything and everything you can think of, that God will give you understanding in everything. And trust to the Lord that God is able to provide wisdom to deal with things that you can never imagine or never had to deal with. You know, there's, there's a reality that when you consider what's happening today, there are some, there are some moral issues, some ethical issues that our generation is dealing with that my, parent, my grandparents never had to deal with because the technology was not even there. And frankly, there's some things that my grandparents had to deal with that we don't have to deal with. Times are changing, technology is changing, moral and ethical issues confronting the church are constantly changing. But the wisdom of God is true and it is eternal and it is everlasting. What Paul is saying to Timothy is, listen, I believe that God is able to give you understanding in whatever you face. If it's something I can instruct you on, if it's something I've never even heard of, I believe God is capable of giving you understanding. And so he talks about there that we entrust God, uh, we entrust our children to give, to provide for wisdom, for our understanding for our children, and we entrust the Lord, our children, that he will give them the provision 
of wisdom, that they will know and understand the right thing to do in all things. And I would just lastly say to you that we also trust that God is going to provide for wherever he leads them. Probably the best example of what it means to entrust your children to the Lord is found in 1 Samuel uh, with the testimony of Hannah and Samuel. If you know the story of Hannah, she could not have children. And she went to the temple and she prayed and uh, the, the, the priest there the, uh, came to her and prophesied over and said, the Lord's gonna give you a child. And even as she received the news before she, gave, before she came, became pregnant, she said, I'll give this child to you. So the book of 1 Samuel tells us that, that as soon as the child was weaned, so he must have been very young, she took the child and surrendered him to the Lord knowing that her son Samuel would grow up in the work and the labor of the temple, not really knowing his mom and his dad. When I think of that story, I often wonder, I mean, certainly Hannah was like most of us. She must have loved her son. This was her firstborn son, at that point her only child. I often wonder, did she worry about Samuel? Did she worry about whether or not he was getting fed well enough? And she worried about whether or not Eli was picking out the right clothes that fit him. Was she worried about he was being worked too hard or was he, if he was lonely or if he was well-adjusted or getting his education or all the other things that you and I worry about for our children. Maybe she had all these concerns, but she gave her son to the Lord anyway. In order to give him to the Lord, she had to trust that God who opened her womb and gave her a baby, was able to provide for her son even away from her presence. Parents, that's where we must be. That's where we must be. Our children are not our own. They are a gift of the Lord. They're not our own possession. They are God's. And he alone is able to provide for them no matter where he leads or how he uses them. Do not hold so tightly to your children that they become an idol. Rather, entrust them to the Lord and trust the Lord is able to provide for them wherever he may call them and wherever they may go. When I was in high school, I began sensing that the Lord was calling me into ministry. And at the time, I didn't know what in the world that meant. I didn't know what type of ministry that would look like. I didn't know if God was... I, you know, at that point, I was... Uh, involved in a lot of musical things, and I thought maybe the Lord is going to use me as a, uh, in music, but I didn't want to do that, and I was a little afraid to say I wanted to preach, but, but I just knew God was calling me into the ministry. And so I began to go around and ask and talk to any pastor that I knew, anybody that I knew in ministry, and I discovered that there was a, there was a, a little bit of advice that almost to a man every pastor gave me. And this is what they would say. I'd say, you know, I think I'm called to ministry, and what do you think about that? How do you know for sure you're called to ministry? And they would say this to me. They'd say, Ben, if you can do anything else, go do that. I didn't like that advice when I heard it. I thought there was something weak in that advice. Now, I've been in ministry a few years now. I think I understand why they said that. Ministry is 
it looks very glamorous on the outside. At least it did when I was in high school. You know what I thought we would be doing when I was in high school looking into ministry? I thought it was going to be like summer camp all the time, right? Where church people were happy to be at church, and they wanted to hear what the pastor had to say, and we were just singing church songs and praising Jesus all day. I mean, how bad could that job be? It's not like that, by the way. Did you know there are grumpy people in church? Did you know there are mean people in church? Did you know there are people who will be mean to the pastor, not because the pastor did anything to them, just because the pastor's the pastor? I don't understand it. I had a guy in, in, in a former church who's been really difficult to me, and I was really concerned about it. And I went, I went to a, a, a trusted friend of mine, and I said, I don't know what to do about this guy. And he said, listen, let me tell you about him. He's tried to fire every minister we've ever had. Don't worry about it. If he didn't try to fire you, we think something was wrong with you. You may not know this, but um, most guys in the ministry don't make a lot of money. It tends to be a, a job that doesn't pay real, real well. Long hours, sometimes a little respect. I think I know what the men were saying to me. It's a difficult job. It's a difficult calling. There's a lot of suffering involved, a lot of heartache, a lot of loneliness in ministry. It's tough on you. It's tough on your wife. It's tough on your children. And I, and I hope what they were getting at is, you know, if there's something else you could do, then it, it may mean that God's not really calling you to ministry. Because if God's calling you to ministry, there's nothing else you can do. I hope that's what they were saying. But it sounded to me like they were saying, this is not a good route to go. If you can do anything else, go do that. You know, I wish they had said to me, I wish they had sat down right then and there and said, Ben, I want to tell you all the difficulties that it is in ministry. I want to tell you how lonely it can be. I want to tell you how there's not a lot of respect and honor in it. I want to tell you how the grumpy people oftentimes are the loudest people. I want to tell you how sometimes there will be people that will come after you for no other reason because you stand for the name of Jesus. I want to tell you how there will be moments where you'll think there was something easier and better to do. But let me tell you something. If God is calling you to this, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the suffering, no matter what the hardship, you be faithful to the call of Jesus. That's where we must encourage our children. Don't tell them to do anything else. Call them to be obedient to the call of God. If they say to you, listen, I sense God calling me to a place of suffering, say, praise God, I will be on my hands and knees praying for you every moment of your life, but you go be obedient. If they tell you I'm called to something that's going to be hard and uncomfortable and your grandchildren are going to be in places that are difficult, you say to them, that's not what my heart desires. I wish you could be safe and comfortable, but I'd rather you be obedient. Go after it. I'll pray for you. I'll support you. I'll love you no matter where God calls you to. That's where we must be, church. We must have a heart to raise up our children, not for our personal desires and opinions, but to raise up our children as offerings to God like Hannah with Samuel and saying, God, they're yours. They are yours. We entrust them to you. Use them and do with them whatever you please for the glory of your name and the advancement of the kingdom of God.